Open your Bibles, like I said, Matthew chapter 7. Before I forget, Wednesday night Bible study for the next four Wednesdays. Going to talk about the Gospels and various ways of looking at the Gospels and interpreting different parts of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So hopefully you'll be able to learn something if you want. The Wednesday evening begins at 6 o'clock with a meal. It's church's fried chicken this week, so you want to come. And then the Bible study is at 7. And I think we'll be able to have everything downstairs this time. And so if you would, please sign up on the list in the uh, foyer there so we'll know how many to prepare for and that kind of thing. And so, is that right? Judy got it all? Okay, Judy said we're good. So thank you, Judy. Matthew chapter 7. Also, Dave Scott is homesick today. And so keep him in your prayers. I don't think it's anything serious. He just was kind of difficult to be with, he said. So uh, we'll take that at his word. Matthew chapter 7. The last part in this series of sermons God told me. So for the last seven or eight weeks, we've tried to imagine if we were going to say God told me, what could we say with any kind of affirmation? You know, I grew up with a lot of preachers in my midst and went to college with 700 preachers and the phrase God told me became almost a joke because of the way so many people abuse it. So I want you to be able to say, well God told me and then say something that is accurate and something that he really would say. So we've been looking at different things. So today we're going to do the very simplest one. God is, imagine God is saying, let me teach you how to act. So if you want to know say, God, tell me how to act. And God says, good, let me teach you how to act. So we're going to look at some things today in Scripture. Matthew chapter 7. As always, we begin with prayer. I'll give you a few moments to pray silently where you're seated. And then we'll go to God as a group. Would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, again, we worship you today. More than anything, we lift our hearts in praise to you. You are a good and gracious God. You have gifted us with so many things of all that we need for life and joy. We thank you for those things, Father. We ask today that you would teach us from your word, show us how to think and act and talk, Father. Not only that we might honor you, but we might enable you to bless us. We know that sometimes you want to bless us and yet we make it to where you can't. We ask for forgiveness and mercy when we act that way. Forgive us our sins. And Lord, teach us how to be gracious and kind like Jesus. We thank you for that prime example of how we are to act as we watch Jesus talking to people and living with them. Help us to learn. As always, Father, we pray that you would be with those that have power over us. They have been given great powers and abilities. Give them wisdom and discernment and restraint. We pray, Father, that we as a people would learn to walk in a way that honors you, the narrow path. Help 
was to resist sin. To resist those forces that would divide us and cause us to hate each other. Help us, Father, to follow your spirit and teaching rather than the ways of this world. We pray for our soldiers and first responders and their families. Use them. Help them to do their job with confidence. Help them to save lives, to bring peace, to enable us to live on this earth. We pray, Father, for our brothers in Ukraine, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Iraq, Iran, wherever there are fightings, calm them, Father. We pray for peace on this earth, for people willing to get along. Speak to us now, Father. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever come, purchased anything that came with some instructions? Have you ever noticed that dirty little phrase? It's usually at the back in really fine print. Failure to follow these instructions will void your warranty and may cause death or dismemberment. Have you ever noticed that phrase? All sorts of things get that little thing. It must be just a boilerplate lawyer thing, but it's always in there. I always wonder about that. You know, I've, I've told you for several weeks now that my daughter and her family are going to go to Vietnam in two weeks. March 15, they're flying out. They're going to go visit a family that are missionaries in Vietnam. They're going to be in there 10 days. And I am this very conservative white guy that doesn't care if I ever leave the state of Missouri. I am completely satisfied on my 40-acre farm. But they want to go see the world, so, that, so be it against my better judgment. And one of the things that concerns me is the travel, not just to get there, but to be in there. So on screen, I've got some pictures. Good morning, Vietnam. This is how they travel. You've seen these pictures, haven't you? People don't have many cars because they can't afford them and gas costs too much. So they all ride on scooters. And this is your typical family. One, two, three, four, five people on one scooter. That is typical the family that I've spoken of that my daughter's going to visit they have five people and they finally upgraded to two scooters and so they think they're high rollers now because they had all five on one scooter just like this family I counted about 80 chickens on this scooter and so this is how they get around and another picture this guy now interesting about this hold on this picture for a while Debbie these scooters, and I, I went online and tried to I figure out this is a Honda, and a Honda Dream is what they call it. It's got a 100cc motor. It has a capacity of carrying 200 pounds. So I figure that's a good size guy, maybe 150 pounds. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 40 pound jugs of water. 600 pounds plus him going through traffic. I see every liability lawyer in the world cringing, just like every ambulance driver cringing because that poor little motorcycle, you can't really see it, but the front tire is almost flat. I've looked at this picture way too long because I envision my daughter in Vietnam doing this. I am terrified. Now, there's nothing wrong with scooters. I've ridden them, so have you, some of you. And there's nothing wrong as long as you use them correctly. Correctly means about 200 pounds or less, slowly, taking care to go 
carefully around the corners, none of which these guys do. You've seen those videos, and my brother was in Vietnam for several years, and he said, there is nothing safe about scooter travel in Vietnam. And my friends, when they were over, said, then when you come, Heather, they were telling her what travel is like, hold on, because it will terrify you, because there are no traffic rules. It's go. That's it. Go. Now, there are police who yell and honk their whistles at you, but other than that, the rule is try not to die, and that's it. And so I'm terrified. But the thing is, these scooters were made to function in a certain way. And as long as you get on the scooter and you ride it correctly and you don't load it too much, the scooter will get you there. It'll get 80 or 90 miles to a gallon of gas and it won't smoke out too much and your tires won't go flat and you won't bend the frame and all those kinds of things. But if you ride it like these guys in Vietnam, all bets are off. You void the warranty, obviously. Now, you don't care about scooters in Vietnam, I know. But the point is, if you use something correctly, it'll do the job that it's designed to do. But if you abuse it, you're going to suffer the consequences. So hold that thought. We are talking about God wanting to teach us how to live. Imagine that God created you. Of course, that's what we believe, that God created us. And he created us to live and act in a certain way and to relate to people in a certain way. And as long as you live the way God wants you to live and you follow his teachings and heed his instructions and restrictions, your life can be very good. But as soon as you ignore God's will, as soon as you do whatever you want because, whatever, then your warranty is voided. You follow me here? That means you suffer the consequences. So today, keep that in mind as we learn this idea and take Jesus very seriously when he teaches us how to act. Follow along with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 7. And you can go to that next frame now, Debbie. Matthew chapter 7. I'll read verses 7 through 15. This is Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or, what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or, if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter by it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And we'll stop there. So on the screen is a very simple truth. A life of righteousness is the one most likely to bring you God's blessings. So what is a life of righteousness? I got that on screen. Read this with me if you would. Righteousness, a lifestyle or actions that are consistent with biblical teachings. That's it. Find out what the Bible teaches is a good way to act, what behaviors are good, what behaviors aren't so good, how God does want you to act, and what he wants you to avoid. And if you do those things, you can approach a life of righteousness. Now, it may not be particularly religious. 
Some people think that if you're going to be righteous, you have to talk holy, holy, holy all the time and use the King's English and quote Bible verses. Nothing wrong with doing that. But most of us aren't cut from that cloth. We don't really want to talk religious all the time. We want to avoid sin. We want God to bless us. We want to have a good life. And you can be righteous and experience that life of righteousness without being that kind of religious person that kind of turns people off. Interestingly enough, in Jesus' day, guess which group of people turned people off? The religious leaders, the preachers. They talked religion all the time. They were always carrying the scripture around, always beating people over the head with their Bible, not, you know, figuratively, and picking at people because they weren't biblical. And those are the very people Jesus could not tolerate. Instead, Jesus loved normal people who were just doing their best. Amazingly enough, Jesus preferred people that weren't perfect. In other words, he chose the commoners. Those are the ones who weren't so, weren't so full of themselves, but they were trying to live righteous lives. So the, the idea here is that God wants us to have a good and productive life. So no matter, no matter who you are, or where you started from, look at your life right now. God loves you absolutely, and he wants you to be even better. He wants to teach you how to live a better life. He wants to teach you how to get along with others better. He wants to be able to bless you and make you happy and use you in his service. And so we're going to talk about how God wants us to do that today. And this whole chapter and this whole sermon actually is aimed at Jesus teaching people how to live like God wants them to, how to live a righteous life. And you can be living a righteous life and like motorcycles or not. You can be a vegan or a meat eater and be righteous. You can wear old-fashioned clothes and old-fashioned music or the modern stuff, as long as it covers all the parts, and that is a righteous life. See, God doesn't really care about so many things that we get hung up on. He does not care what kind of car you drive, electric or gas. He does not care whether you wear old-fashioned clothes or uh, things you get at a thrift shop or brand new clothes. He just doesn't care about it. So many of the things that we get hung up on, he just doesn't care. What he does care about, what he can use to bless us, is a life that's lived after biblical teachings. In other words, righteousness. So we're going to talk about that today. So before we get to some specifics that God's teaching us, on screen are a couple of truths of God's character. Now here's a tough one. Father knows best. Now I know that's an old TV show. Get past that one, okay. It was a great show by the way. You can also include Mama knows best, but for when talking about God, we're talking about Father knows best. The idea here is that you do not know everything about what you need to do. Have you ever done something and then say later, gosh, I wish I would have known something different, or I wish I wouldn't have done that, or I wish someone would have told me, God knows this. God teaches you how to live, and the amazing thing is, no matter who you are, rich or poor, white or black, doesn't matter, God's ways apply to you. Always. There is nothing in Scripture that is irrelevant to you. Maybe it might not make any sense right now, but it might later on. You just don't know. When God teaches us something, He means for you to learn it. So, what we have to do is learn to trust that God knows best. Now, this is an act of faith. 
where you just say, okay, God, you are God, you are creator, you created this body and mind, you know what's best for me, teach me and help me to follow. And this is where you get involved in Bible studies and you stay at work during sermons and things like this and you let God teach you. And as you read scripture and hear teachers and preachers and things like that and listen to Christian music and all those kinds of things, you begin to learn there is a way to live that God wants. And then you accept the fact that this is God's way. Now, the fact that it's God's way doesn't mean it's our way. In fact, many of the things that are biblical are rejected in our culture. Sexual restraint, violence, flipping people off when you drive and all those kinds of, you know, things that are just normal for us. God says, there's got to be a better way. My sister lives in California and she says in California there is a sign language that you use when you drive and it is wild and crazy and there's only one symbol. And you know what it is. And you, she says in California, of course, everybody is driving 85 miles an hour, literally. In California, she says, this is this culture. This is how you drive. And that is a symbol. Get out of my way. Thank you. Get out of my way. Thank you. Get out of my way. And over and over, you drive that way. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a better way than that. And there is, of course. So God's ways are not our ways. And that's one of the things we have to accept, that God's parameters for life are better than ours. And before we get into any specifics, just remember that. If God teaches it in Scripture, this is what is best for you. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if it costs you. It doesn't matter if it means you don't get what you want. God's way is better because Father knows best. I was talking to a, a parent earlier today and she had to have a conversation and, and she knew what her daughter wanted and she knew that what her daughter wanted wasn't what she wanted and you know what I mean by that, right? So the daughter wanted something but it wasn't what the daughter wanted and she knew better. And so she helped her understand. And so this is the way it is. God knows what is best for us and he knows that if you want to be happy that the short-term Thing that you might try isn't going to gain you happiness. So you have to be careful. Trust God. Another thing on screen, God has the right to instruct us how to live. Now what this means is, God is creator, owns this world, and he's been there and done that. God has a right to tell you what to do. Well, what do you mean he has a right? God is almighty God. He does know better than you. Now, the reason we don't like this is because we generally don't like anyone telling us what to do. In one of my churches, there was a kid named Weston. He was this tall. Weston was this tall and had a mouth this big. And he was, he was two. And I knew him well because every time he got in trouble, I got Weston duty, which meant they brought him into my office and said, Kevin, you take him. We can't handle it. The crazy thing is, Weston had a dad that really was this big. And Weston said no. And one time I saw this argument between Weston and his great big daddy with a jutting jaw. And he was a military guy, Rambo type. And no one messed with his daddy. Except Weston. 
And Weston was in trouble big time and dad was all over him and threatening him and doing everything that dads do to treat their little two-year-olds correctly. And Weston looked at him and he looked like this. He goes, no! No one likes to be told what to do, including two-year-olds or 12-months-old or 18-year-olds, right? We just don't like it. So one of the things that we have to learn to do as Christians is allow God to tell us what to do. He does have the right to do it. He can tell you what to do. He can instruct you. He can tell you, this is behavior that will be good for you. This is behavior that will not be good for you. Not only that, he's showed us through Jesus. Remember, Jesus was God in the flesh, born like us, lived like us. And yet the author of Hebrews says he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So what he did, what Jesus did, was show us there is a way to live that is righteous. And you can do this. The reason Jesus did it and could do it was because he allowed God to help him. He listened to God, Father God's teachings and he submitted to Father God. And he allowed the Holy Spirit to help him. So what that means is, long story short, when scriptures challenge your behavior, it comes from a good source. It's not just God being a great killjoy. Some people think that God just doesn't want you to have fun. No. It's just sometimes what we do to have fun hurts us in the long run. Short-term gains don't mean necessarily anything if they're going to hurt you in the long term. So God is sovereign. He knows best. And he has the right to instruct us. So when you ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And he says, let me tell you how to live. He speaks from a position of a from a position of authority and power and wisdom. So knowing that, we can go to this next idea, and that is that God can guide us to our best life. Now here's the deal. Your best life might not be what you want. Your best life is what God knows will best bring joy to you. It may not be what you think you want. It may be something very different. My daughter, one of my daughters, doesn't matter which one, she liked musicians. Nothing wrong with musicians, I love them. She dated them, wanted to marry them. All of them. She, the things that she drug home, amazing. We were so afraid that she would marry one of those musicians. Now, fortunately, they broke her heart over and over and over. And finally, a great big tall engineer swooped in and rescued her from herself. She thought she wanted to marry a musician, but she didn't really. What she wanted was a good and stable man that could handle her. And she got him. See, God worked there. And we thank God every day that he rescued my daughter from the people that she wanted because it would have hurt her. This is the way it is with God. When you follow him and you open yourself up to his leadership, God has a chance to bless you. And he can do that. And the life that he gives you might not be the life that you think you want. So on screen are some things. God's gifts that he gives you. Now, before we look at these things in particular, Look at verse 11. 
Still in Matthew 7, verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. So whenever you see the word therefore, this is a change in what's going on. Before the word therefore, Jesus was talking about Father God and how he worked on this earth in people's lives and how he could give good gifts. So there's that idea, God gives good gifts. Therefore, Jesus is saying, let me show you the gifts I'm going to give you. So God steps in the role of God, Jesus in, steps in the role of God as Father and says, this is my gift to you. And then in verse 12, the golden rule, treat people like you want to be treated. That's it. One of the most important gifts God can give anyone if they will receive it is the instruction to treat people like you want to be treated. Now think about that. The obvious things are easy. Do you want people to steal your stuff? Well, no. Do you want people to throw their coke at you when they disagree? Well, no. Do you want people to slap you when they and you make them mad? Well, no. Well, see, those are obvious teachings, aren't they? Then, don't do those things that you don't want people to do to you. It's really very simple. All you have to do is think, just before you talk, just before you swing or throw that Coke, think, is this what I want done to me? If the answer is no, then stop. Amazingly enough, you have the ability to control yourself. Do you know that? You can control your emotions. You may not think you can control how you feel, that's harder, but you can control how you express your emotions. You do not have to scream when you get mad. You do not have to hit somebody when they make you mad. You do not have to cut people off in traffic when they cut you off in traffic, and so on and so forth. You know, those are the easy things, but there's more to it than that. As I was going through the New Testament this week, I had an idea to look at something and I found the word sober. All right. Now, how many of you, I'm going to show of hands, how many of you, as soon as I said the word sober, thought drunk? It kind of goes with it, doesn't it? They're almost inseparable terms. If someone is sober, they're not drunk. If someone is drunk, they're not sober. All right. Let's go with this with just a little bit further. When you're sober, how do you act? Well, you control your mouth. You think carefully. You act slowly before you do something dumb. And you think through life. Do you know that the New Testament says 15 different times in 15 different passages that God wants you to be sober-minded? 15 times. Over and over and over. When someone says something over and over, that means it's really important. I grew up with a big, loud daddy, and one of the phrases that I remember over and over is, Kevin, slow down. Slow down, Kev. Kev, slow down. Over and over. I, I don't, you know, one of the first things that comes to my mind when I think of my dad is, slow down, Kev. Well, guess why? I talked fast. I threw my fist fast. I drove fast. I got mad fast. For 30 years of my life, I heard it, slow down, Kev. I needed to hear it over and over. 
So when God says be sober-minded over and over and over, that means it's really important. Now, drunk is the other way. When you're drunk, some of you have been drunk, some of you haven't, but we've all seen drunk people. We know that their behavior is out of control, that they say stupid things, that they talk before they think, that they throw a fist before they think, that they let their emotions get the better of them, and so on and so forth. And they do dumb things, and they inevitably hurt their lives and the lives of those they hurt. That's what drunkenness does. So when God said 15 times, be sober-minded, he's saying don't live like that. In your relationships, be sober-minded. He's not talking about just the drinking thing, that's part of it. But he's really saying, before you talk, think. When you plan out your life, think through it before you act. When you know that something pushes your buttons or someone pushes your buttons, anticipate that situation and think it through. One of the things that I learned in school, and the teachers forced me to learn this in different classes and settings, is that before I went into a situation, I needed to learn to anticipate that situation. And they would say things like this in class. I remember a professor saying this. You know that in your ministry, there are going to be some people that push your buttons, and you just know it. Before you talk to those people, anticipate them pushing your buttons and ask, how can I react as Christian? And he said, to you guys that are going to be pastors, this will save your bacon over and over. You will keep your job if you learn to do this. And he was right. We had to learn that. We had to learn to anticipate situations. So being sober-minded, I think, part of it is anticipating situations. If you're going to be in a situation where you're tempted to do something, think it through before the fact. If you know, if you're with certain people, there's a tendency to engage in certain behavior that's going to hurt you or someone else, then anticipate that. Maybe get away from those people. Yes, you do not have to do everything because somebody else says so. Treat others like you'd like to be treated. Be sober-minded in this idea of discerning the wide and narrow ways of life. Look at verse 13 and 14 again, if you would. Jesus talking, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. I read a criticism of Christianity several months ago, and the guy said something that was very insightful. He said, religion is really nothing more than a way to control you. And I thought, absolutely, it is. Faith in God, following Jesus, reading Bible teachings, staying awake in sermons, is God's way of controlling your behavior. Because, guess what? Your behavior needs controlling, doesn't it? Sure it does. Every one of us resists impulses and urges. And if we all just do what we feel, we're going to hurt somebody. Not all the time, because we're decent people and all, but God does want to restrict our behavior. So he explains it this way. The narrow path leads to righteousness. The wide path leads to destruction. Now apply that to behavior. Let's, play, let's pick one. Let me get away from this place. Let's pick one. How you handle your money. 
the Bible says this. Don't be a fool with your money. Work hard. Save. Give part away to God's kingdom. And then spend what you spend wisely. Don't throw it away. Don't get into debt unless you just have to. And then get out as soon as you can. And so on and so forth. All those traditional hard teachings. Now why would he do that? Because he doesn't want you to have fun? Well, no. Because he knows that if you follow the ways of this world, you're going to end up in trouble. So the ways of this world with money are what? Work, if you have to. Spend what you don't have. If you don't have it, use it on credit. If you have a big debt, just run and get a different credit card. I had a friend, in fact, one of my family members, used to have multiple credit cards. And I asked her, now what are you doing? Those cards are full. She goes, I just get another card. Never had any intention of paying those cards off. And you know what? Banks were all too happy to give her another card. She had thousands of credit cards. That is the way of the world, isn't it? Use credit, get yourself in debt, and then don't worry about it. Figure out how you can get it out. God says there's a better way. Restrain your behavior. Before you purchase or build, count the cost. If there's no way you can afford it, don't do it. You see, God is restraining your behavior and in doing so, blessing you with financial stability. It doesn't mean you can't get in debt for a car or something like that. Sometimes you have to, I get that. But it means be careful. Because if you ignore God's teachings on money, you're going to hurt yourself. And some of you have, and I know that. And, and you know, I've come close and, you know, had to watch and had to learn those rules. If you can't afford it, don't. God restricts our behavior for our benefit. It applies to almost everything in life, doesn't it? Money, anger, sexuality. You know, our, our culture is out of control, and you know it, and so do I. And sleeping around and doing all those things is just the way of the world. Watch media sensations and starlets and all those kinds of things. It is obvious that they are promoting a lifestyle of sexual immorality. And it's not even judged anymore. It's just whatever you want. As long as it's two consenting adults, it's okay. And God says, no. There is a better way. The better way is very narrow, actually. Man and woman in marriage. Everything out that, outside of that is going to bring you suffering. And that's the way it is, isn't it? So, you have to learn, choose the narrow path, biblical teachings, and not the wide path. It goes for almost every area of life. You see, those teachings are God's gifts to you because they teach you how to have a good life. How many of you had a mom and dad that taught you how to do things correctly? Anybody? Anybody have a mom and dad that taught you how to spend money or not? Yeah? Anybody have a mom and dad who taught you maybe to change a tire on a car or things like that? You know what they were doing? They were doing what they knew to help you in life. Now, I tried to teach my daughters how to check oil and all that, and they ignored everything I ever taught them. You know, they take the key, and their idea of taking care of a car is driving it until it needs gas and then filling it. And if something breaks, call me. You know, and, and my wife does the same thing. You know, and that's just the way it is. But God wants us to listen to him because the narrow way is always best. Yes, it restricts some of what you want. 
Christians, we have absolute freedom to do whatever we want. That's right. But the narrow path is the one that brings joy. On screen are a couple of things. A couple more pics of people in Vietnam. There's a woman driving that scooter. I don't know if those are taters or bags of bags or what. It doesn't matter. Poor motorcycle. Six people on this one. I don't know how they do it. They survive, usually. Surprisingly, the scooters survive. But if you watch some of the shows and the mechanic jack and some of those things, they're always working on these poor scooters because they're wore out and broken. Because they've been broken because of this kind of behavior. This kind of behavior is the wide path. And I'm being facetious here, right? This is the wide path. It will destroy people. The narrow path is to use your life correctly, to live it according to God's teachings. So, you know, I could have done a do's and don'ts things, and we've done that before, but there's just a better way. The better way is let God teach you the narrow path. And when you live that way, you will work hard, you will love those around you, you will treat people the way you want to be treated, you will control your emotions and passions and the way you spend, and amazingly, you will wake up sometime and realize how God has blessed you with this good life. A life that is lived on the narrow path of faith and love is a life that God can bless. I said earlier that God wants to bless you. That is the rule. God wants you to have joy in this life. And you receive joy when you follow God. When you follow Him in faith through Jesus when you restrict your behavior to Christian teachings, and when you live soberly and allow God to bless you in that way. So when God says, let me tell you how to live, he means it. And it is the very best life you can ever live. Nate's going to come this morning and lead us in a hymn of invitation. Let me challenge you to consider how God might be teaching you. What is there in your life that's out of control? What have you done on the narrow path and what are some things on the wide path? Choose the narrow path and experience the blessings of God. Make those choices if you'd like. Would you stand with me as Nate leads us? forward to lead us in prayer. Remember, Bible study Wednesday night. If you want to come, great. If you want to come for the meal, you need to sign up. There isn't any books you need to buy. Just bring your Bible and we'll use it. And like I said, we'll study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the next four Wednesday nights. Andy?
as we depart, we thank you, Lord, for the message that you've sent us today. We ask that as we go about our business this week, that we find opportunities to do your work in deeds, actions, and words. And remember that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. In your name, amen.